Well, good evening. Uh, you'll be thankful that it's only Amy and Beth who are going to be doing tonight's singing uh, for you. Uh, the title uh, for the message this evening is David's Return, and it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 19 and a few verses uh, of chapter 20. But before we look at these chapters, I want us to take a step back and consider the initial period of David's rule. David was the most famous king in the history, history of Israel, a man of courage, victorious in battle, a powerful man, yet he was also a man of justice who had a shepherd's heart. He cared deeply about his people. Above all these things, he was described as a man after God's own heart due to his faithfulness to God. David's kingship was one of victories and goodness. Chapter 8 describes it like this. In verse 6, it says about his victories. The Lord gave David victory uh, wherever he went. And in verse 15, it talks about his goodness. David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. David ruled his kingdom well. And it was a united kingdom because God blessed him and David knew his place under God's authority. But this all changed because of two simple words he saw. In chapter 11, verse 2, it says this, It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Many uh, will know the famous story of David and Bathsheba, a married woman who David coveted, and from this point there began a cascade of events that led to adultery, murder, and a curse that would not only afflict David, but also his family and the nation as a whole. The prophecy against David is recorded in chapter 12, therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. There was much success for David as he ruled over the people with the blessing of God, but he took his eyes off the Lord and he stumbled and fell. He despised God's law. He despised God's authority on his life and the consequences were huge. We find that David became passive and didn't deal with various family situations. His son Absalom rose against him taking his place on the throne and David ran away. Ultimately, David would witness the death, the murder of his three sons, and David was far away from God, as James reminded us last week. And this is a warning uh, to us all as we start, that we walk each day by the grace of God. The man who was after God's own heart turned and despised his God. And when we are tempted to do things in our own strength, it can be so easy to fall. It may be something so subtle 
that it appears harmless, but the consequences of sin and the ripple effect can be dramatic. The victories and goodness can quickly disappear when we become captivated by the beauties the world has to offer. So let's keep on walking well under the authority and the blessing of God. Let's turn uh, to our passage, Second uh, Samuel uh, 19. We're going to look at this chapter in two parts. Uh, the first, uh, first part, David attempts to unite the kingdom as he starts his return to Jerusalem. And that process is like bookends in this passage at the beginning and the end of the chapter. And secondly, we will look at some of the characters that David met on the journey. And we find that in the middle verses. And we will hopefully take away uh, some practical things uh, and lessons uh, from the passage. So let's uh, start uh, by reading in chapter 19. Um, so in, at, the start, sorry, at the start of chapter 19, Absalom is dead. David is overcome with grief for his son. And then Joab, the petulant, brutal, but faithful commander of David's army, gave his master a stern rebuke, which got the, the required response. Let's read verse 8 of chapter 19. Then the king arose and took his seat at the gate. And the people were all told, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate. And all the people came before the king. Now Israel had fled every man to his own home. And all the people were arguing throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled out of the land from Absalom. But Absalom, whom we appointed over us, is dead in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? And King David sent this message to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. Say to the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to bring the king back to his house when the word of all Israel has come to the king? You are my brothers, you are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me and more also, if you are not commander of my army from now on in place of Joab. And he swayed the heart of all the men of Judah as one man, so that they sent word to the king, return both you and all your servants. So the king came back to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over the Jordan. If you just keep your, your Bibles open at that passage. 2022 was a year of political turmoil in the United Kingdom. Boris Johnson was ousted. Liz Trust was in for 45 days. And then the big question arose, will Boris bounce back to number 10? Would we see his tousled hair back at the door of prime ministerial power? In verse 8, the king arose and took his seat in the gate. The city gate in biblical times wasn't just a passageway through the defensive wall. It was a place where business was done, where kings judged and where prophets cried out. King David is back at the gate. He is back in business and he's back behaving like a king should. 
but all is not well in his kingdom. Israel, the northern tribes, were arguing and trying to decide whether to return to David. They had been under his authority before. Then they were under Absalom, who's now dead. What should they do? There is division in Israel. On top of this, Judah, David's own tribe in the south, had, had said nothing. Many of them had turned away from David to Absalom, so he has a lot of work to do with them. <clears throat> he sends two en envoys to motivate Judah to action, and his appeal to Judah is on three levels. He appeals, first of all, to their pride. They were in second place to Israel at this moment in showing their support for David. He also appeals to their relationship. They were from the same bone and flesh as David. We read that twice in our verses. And he appealed to their unnecessary anxieties. <clears throat> they had rebelled against David. So how would he treat them now if they reversed their decision? His appointment of the rebel Amasa as commander of the army would surely reassure them that they didn't need to fear retribution. And just a side note, the previous commander, Joab, who was Amasa's cousin, wasn't too pleased with this decision to make Amasa the new commander. And he gets his own back, if you read in, in chapter 20. He took Amasa by the beard with his right hand. That was a friendly cultural greeting. And he uses his left hand to sink his sword into Amasa's stomach. It says, spilling his entrails to the ground in one single blow. A totally gruesome uh, moment. And that's one good reason not to have a beard. <laughs> that's our practical lesson from that. Anyway, David's appeal worked. The hearts of all the men of Judah are swayed in his favor, and they begin the journey to bring King David across the Jordan and on to Jerusalem. But the divisions in the country aren't fixed. So if you drop down to the second part of verse 40, this is where the journey to Jerusalem continues. So the second half of verse 40. All the people of Judah and also half the people of Israel, note that half the people of Israel, brought the king on his way. Then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, why have our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his household over the Jordan and all David's men with him? All the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is our close relative. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we eaten at all at the king's expense? Or has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, we have 10 shares in the king. And in David also, we have more than you. Why then did you despise us? Were we not the first to speak of bringing back our king? But the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. Chapter 20. Now there happened to be there a worthless man whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite. And he blew the trumpet and said, we have no portion in David and we have no inheritance in, his, in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. 
So all the men of Israel withdrew from David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. But the men of Judah followed their king steadfastly from the Jordan to Jerusalem. And David came to his house at Jerusalem. If you remember back uh, to chapter 8, at that stage, David commanded the support of all the people. Now he has the support of the people of Judah again, but only half of the people of Israel. What's more, a massive argument has broken out amongst the people about who deserves more recognition by the king. Judah argue that he is their close relative, so they they deserve more, and they aren't taking any unfair advantage of him. On the other hand, Israel say they are 10 times the number of tribes, so they deserved a bigger share of the king. They had also been the first ones to support the king on his return. In chapter 20, all the men of Israel withdraw and follow another rebel leader, Sheba, while the men of Judah follow David to his home in Jerusalem. So what can we uh, learn from this? The return of the king has not united his people. David could not do what he had achieved in the past, and there is no peace in the kingdom. As we look out our, at our world, it is a very broken place. Politics in the West has become more polarized in recent years. Even the United Kingdom where we live has differing viewpoints, and there are desires all the time for independence. Who knows what the future will look like under the UK's new kingship? If we think of the United Nations or NATO or the G12 or the European Union, human attempts to bring nations together will ultimately fail in one way or another. Only God can bring true unity. And true unity is found in Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that we all have one thing that unites us, one thing that we have in common. We are all sinners and have fallen short of God's standard. But God loves you and me so much that he sent Jesus to this world. And through Jesus' death on the cross, the price for our sins has been paid. Jesus has won the victory over sin and death. Therefore, forgiveness and freedom are offered to everyone who will accept it. If we are followers of Jesus, this is how Paul describes our unity in Galatians chapter 3, 28. There is neither Jew nor, nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. Our unity can only be found in Christ. Within the church, our unity is certainly not perfect. Human nature and our own sinful ways mean that there will be tension and challenges. We are called to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The truly perfect king who one day will bring complete unity in his kingdom. Divisions will be united. Wrongs will be righted. There will be perfect peace and justice. As Christians, this is our hope. While we wait, Jesus continues to build his church on earth. He is at work, 
And it's only by his grace that the church is sustained. True unity is only found in Jesus Christ. Now let's uh, go back in the passage to uh, chapter 19, verse 16. And we're going to read about some of the characters um, that David met on his journey. The first one is the heckler. Heckling can occur in many situations. Politicians are regularly told some home truths. Sports referees are lambasted by angry fans. Activists interrupt meetings and comedians are challenged in the middle of their performance. And we mustn't forget the most famous hecklers of all, Statler and Waldorf from The Muppet Show. In our news recently in December, King Charles had an egg thrown at him in York. And in September, a bearded man in Cardiff shouted at the king, while we struggle to heat our homes, we have to pay for your parade. Another bearded man causing problems. And if you look at verse 16, we find a man called Shimei. We've met this man before in chapter 16. The time when David was fleeing from Jerusalem, Shimei came to David, cursed at him constant, continuously, and threw stones at him. Now, this wasn't minor heckling. It was sustained abuse hurled at David. So let's see uh, what he does, what the heckler does in chapter 19 and verse 16. And Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Baharim, hurried to come down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And with him were a thousand men from Benjamin. And Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, with his 15 sons and his 20 servants, rushed down to the Jordan before the king. And they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household and to do his pleasure. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan and said to the king, let not my Lord hold me guilty or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to come down to meet my lord the king. Abishai, the son of Zeruah, answered, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? But David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruah? that you should this day be as an adversary to me? Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For do I not know that I am this day king over Israel? And the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. As you read uh, these verses, you get the feeling that this guy isn't particularly sincere. The situation has changed and it seems like he wants to save his own skin, so he goes and appeals to King David. He fell down before him, pleading for mercy. And then he uses bargaining tactics, stating he was the first person to come down from Joseph to support the king, and that he brought 1,000 Benjamites with him to support the king as well. David wanted the day to be one of rejoicing, not a day of retribution. So he shows Shimei mercy and said he would not die. 
However, he doesn't appear to fully forgive Shimei, because if you read on in 1 Kings chapter 2, there David instructs his son Solomon to kill Shimei. So it was only a temporary pardon for Shimei in these verses. As I read the story of Shimei, my thoughts are turned to another scene of a king being heckled and mocked, the scene of the cross. Luke records it like this. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. In the noise of scoffing and mockery, one man took a stand for Christ and he was a criminal. He was aware that he was rightfully condemned for what he had done, but he recognized the innocence of Jesus. He asked to be remembered in his kingdom. And Jesus promises that that same day, the forgiven criminal would be with him in paradise. This was no temporary act of mercy. It was a declaration of permanent forgiveness and a promise of eternal welcome in the presence of the King of Kings. We have at some time been guilty of cursing God, maybe even denying his existence. But God still offers mercy to anyone who genuinely re repents and turns from their sin and accepts him as their Lord and King. Now, the second character we come across is the scruffy friend. We've met Mephibosheth before. He is the grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan, and he was a, a lame in both feet. David had shown him great kindness in chapter 9, and from that moment on, he ate at the king's table. So let's read verse 24. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes. From the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? He answered, My lord, O king, my servant, and that Ziba deceived me. For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king. For your servant is lame. He has slandered your servant, uh, he has slandered your, his servant to my lord, the king. 
But my Lord the King is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my Lord the King. But you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the king? And the king said to him, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, O let him take it all, since my lord the king has come safely home. Ziba was the servant of Saul's household, and in chapter 16, he went to help David. He claimed that Mephibosheth had stayed in Jerusalem, hoping that his family's kingdom, the kingdom of Saul, was going to be restored. And David reacted by taking all that belonged to Mephibosheth and giving it to Ziba. But when he meets Mephibosheth in these verses, he finds him as a scruffy man with a completely different record of events. He had been in mourning since the king left. He hadn't looked after his feet, washed his clothes, or trimmed his beard since David had left until he had now returned. Yes, we've got another man with a beard. And his appearance was an expression of his loyalty to the anointed king. He was a good man who had been hard done by by another. In the end, David divided the land between Ziba and Mephibosheth. And this was probably a political move, so he didn't alienate Ziba and all his family. But it's interesting to note the focus of Mephibosheth at the end. Oh, let him take all, since my lord the king has come safely home. Mephibosheth was prepared to sacrifice his own benefits to see the king restored to the place of honor. As Christians, how often do we fight for our own rights? Perhaps we have been misrepresented in our work, or we feel hard done by in our family, or even in our church. Maybe we've lost money or a position that should have been ours. Those sorts of issues are tough to deal with and can easily cause Christians to be less loyal to their king. It's easy to walk away. Mephibosheth challenges us all to get the right perspective in difficult situations. What a challenge for us to repeat those same words. Oh, let him take it all since my Lord, the King, has come safely home. Do we want Jesus to receive all the honor that he deserves, even when things haven't gone as we had hoped on this earth? And finally, our third character, he's the old man in verse 31. Now, Barzillai the Gileadite had come down from Rogelim and he went on with the king to the Jordan to escort him over the Jordan. Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old. He had provided the king with food while he stayed in Mehanim, for he was a very wealthy man. And the king said to Barzillai, come over with me and I will provide for you with me in Jerusalem. But Barzillai said to the king, How many years have I still to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? 
I am this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats and what he drinks? Can I still listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to my Lord, the King? Your servant will go a little way over the Jordan with the King. Why should the King repay me with such a reward? Please let your servant return that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. But here is your servant, and some versions add, uh, my son, your servant, my son, Chimham. Let him go over with my lord the king and do for him whatever seems good to you. And the king answered, Chimham shall go over with me and I will do for him whatever seems good to you. And all that you desire of me, I will do for you. It isn't nice when you realize you're getting older. I had that experience recently. Years ago, I, I played a, a bit of five-a-side football. I was never good at it, uh, but I enjoyed it. And a couple of times a year, we would have a bigger crescent match, and some of the older guys would turn up to play. I'm not going to mention any names, uh, but the older guys know who they are. As a 20-year-old, I used to look around and think, isn't it great that such and such has turned up to play today? It's great that they show an interest in us younger guys. These men were probably in their late 30s or in their 40s, but to me, they were pretty ancient. And in particular, I remember a tremendous cameo performance when one of the older men turned up in his work suit and his black work shoes. Removing only his jacket, he proceeded to throw himself around as a goalkeeper and stop every shot that came at him. It was a legendary performance. And again, I'm not going to mention any names, but he is one of the elders, and he has a special interest in fire protection systems. <laughs> now, there's still a crowd of guys, guys from Crescent and their friends, who, who meet up to play football every Monday night throughout the year. It's a good wee group, and every New Year's Day, they let a few of the old boys turn up for their match. So this year, I was there along with the four other 40-year-olds, or 40-plus, and it suddenly dawned on me that the young guys now look at me as one of the old men. They applaud when you make a tackle. <laughs> they cheer when a pass is completed, and they're absolutely astonished if you managed anything that could be loosely described as skill. It was a reminder that I'm getting older, and the cramped muscles and the inability to walk properly for the next few days just reinforced things to me. And Barzillai was a very old man. He was 80 years of age. My apologies to anyone who's 80 tonight, but that's what it says in the text. In verse 35, he gives a very vivid description of how he is now aware of his age. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats and what he drinks? Can I still listen to the voice of singing man and singing woman? His senses are fading, but this is a man 
who, cared, who had cared for David, a man who was successful and of great wealth, and a wise man who honored the king without looking for a reward. Simply to honor the king was enough for him. And Barzillai is aware of his fading years, but look at how he has responded to this. I want us to see two things as we finish. The first is that Barzillai still wanted to walk with the king. Although he knew he couldn't go up to Jerusalem, he still wanted to escort David over the Jordan. Verse 36 says this, your servant will go a little way over the Jordan with the king. In the past, Barzillai probably would have gone the whole way up to Jerusalem. He would have been at the center of all that was going on. Now he isn't able, but he decides to serve how he can without becoming bitter or cynical. He was there to honor and walk alongside the king. And I'm very thankful for our, old, our older members in this church who despite life's challenges and disappointments seek to walk well with their king, Jesus. Men and women who serve with joy, who inspire us, who pray fervently for this place from their homes, who have learnt how to join us online from their iPads, something they never imagined they could do. Men and women who turn up every Sunday and Thursday night, not for a reward, but simply in thankfulness to their king. And the second thing to note here is that Barzillai's focus was also on the next generation. In verse 37, we meet his son, Chimham. Let him go over with my lord, the king, and do for him whatever seems good to you. As a church and as individuals, we all have an obligation to bring on the next generation in service for the king. We do this by providing opportunities, equipping younger people, trusting them to use their talents, allowing them to make mistakes, and being prepared to step aside whilst cheering them on. It was painful for Barzillai to let Chimham go. I'm sure he did a lot of things for his aging father, but the old man knew that, that even though it was difficult, it was the right thing to do. And it was also a joy for him to watch his son serving well. He let him go on with the king. He went home and no doubt, he lifted up the king and Chimham his son regularly in his prayers. Years ago, I was walking uh, along this aisle over here on a Sunday and an elderly lady called Doreen McCartney, who's now at home with her king, pulled me aside and she said, Tony, I pray for you every day. It blew my mind that someone would have that level of interest in me. There are people in this room and online who bring each of us to the king in their prayers every day, and we owe them a very big thank you. And we need to follow their example and keep inspiring the future generations 
to walk well with the King of Kings. So that is the return of the king from chapter 19. David returned, but there was no peace in his kingdom. He met a semi-repentant heckler, a scruffy, loyal friend, and a faithful old man on his journey to Jerusalem. And my prayer is that we will have been challenged from God's word tonight to look to Jesus, the only one who can bring true unity, that we will all have the permanent forgiveness that Jesus offers us, that we will be focused on making sure that he receives the honor he deserves as our king, and that we will walk well with him while seeking to inspire the next generation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your word uh, this evening. We thank you for uh, this uh, image of David returning as king to Jerusalem and the people that he met uh, on his journey, Lord. I pray that we will uh, look at these uh, character uh, pictures, Lord, and take away uh, challenges for our own lives um, to seek to honor you, to seek to serve you well, uh, to seek to pass uh, the baton on uh, to the next uh, generation, Lord. We thank you for uh, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he uh, went to the cross uh, for us. And we thank you that he died uh, to pay the punishment uh, for our sons, sins, Lord. We pray that you would help us uh, as we go into this week ahead, Lord, to serve you well, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.